Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that when you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Current. My name is David. Uh, for those of you guys who are really visually you know, inclined to, to learning and kind of taking in surroundings with that map up there, uh, it is the, the Computer History Museum, for those of you guys who don't know, is right off 101. So Shoreline is, it's basically Shoreline and 101. So you'll come off and then immediately do all those turns. So we're really excited about it. Um, hey, so today we, we're, we're going to be talking about transitions. Um, we're gearing up, of course, to get into the Computer History Museum. Um, but I wanted to, I was kind of driving over here and I just felt led to have kind of a pastoral moment here. I, I want to encourage those of you, particularly uh, who haven't yet returned after the pandemic. The pandemic is one of these big transitions. We're going to talk a little about that today in, in this message. But I just want to encourage those of you who have not yet returned after the pandemic, this is a great opportunity with a spiritual marker in place as, as our church is moving into this new space in this season, in this time. I would encourage you to make that moment to coming and being back with us in, per, in person. If, if you're healthy and you, you've got all the rest of it, uh, I think this would be a great time to put a spiritual marker. I would also say, and this doesn't have to just be those who are online, say, today. Uh, it could be you here who, who happen to be here today. Um, one of the things I've been hearing from a lot of pastors in the area, I'm going around to do all these networking engagements, is a lot of pastors are now using the term pajama church. <laughs> that kind of tells you a lot right there. Um, and hey, it, it is what it is. But it's one of those ideas is if, if, if you're also among the people who is just like, you know, hey, today, you know what, I'm just going to do this one from the pajamas today. I'd encourage you to think about that as well, making maybe a commitment as you go into this new space as a, as a church. We think about this after the pandemic, and we're kind of recreating or creating new habits to say, hey, I'm going to commit to being there in person. And here's the, why, the reason I'd say that, is our presence is honoring to the Lord. And there's something about in the flesh, in fellowship, ministry, and worship that we get to do together that we just don't get apart from that. And by the way, those who aren't, uh, uh, those who do come and you're not here don't get to receive from you as a part of the body too. So I would just say without knowing, you know, who I'm talking to right now as I just kind of cast that out there with just a pastoral thought, I think we have a real moment, opportunity with a spiritual marker as a church to say, hey, this is a time under the Lord with the Sabbath uh, I want to I do this. So um, let me pray, and then we'll shift gears and get into our message. Father, we do want to continue to uh, 
in prayer now, uh, what we've already been singing and what we've been talking about from the stage for many weeks. Uh, We want to continue to thank you for the way that you have just gone before us to provide that we can go into the Computer History Museum. Thank you so much for the wonderful time we have spent here in this space, the Hyatt. This really came out of nowhere unexpectedly, at least from our lens. You knew. You were the one who provided it for us. But, But we say thank you. We're so grateful because to be a portable church in this area uh, really is just an exercise of getting to see you show up and move. And so, Lord, as, you, as we anticipate that's what you're doing here as we move into the Computer History Museum, would you go before us all the more? And would this be a sweet season in the life of the church where we see you do even greater things than you have done? Would many people come to know you, put their faith in you? Would the, would the surrounding community be blessed because... We as a church are meeting there on Sundays. And will you help us grow up in, in, our, in our love for one another and becoming more like Jesus? Fathers, we, we look now and consider transitions, not just as a church and moving in a space, but just all of us, wherever we're at, whatever we're facing, Lord, we're, all, we're constantly undergoing transitions. Lord, would you meet us? I pray especially for those who are going through extra hard or heavy transitions, especially minister to them. But I pray that you do this for each of us as we turn now to your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, life transitions can be hard, uh, even good ones. My brother-in-law and I were talking recently, and he was telling me how if, if it were up to him, he wouldn't go on vacations. Uh, because he doesn't, he's like, he loves rhythms, he loves, you know, his routine. And so even the transition of going into vo- vacation mode, he's just like, I'd rather not do it. He's like, I do it because your sister and the kids. It's like, otherwise, because changes still change. Even good transitions can be something to navigate let alone all the other ones that we're constantly facing. I feel like right now as a society, especially in our area, we're especially undergoing lots of transitions. Like there's a cyclical nature to the Silicon Valley that this is a time of transitions. I know many of you are starting new jobs or new positions at your workplace. Uh, Many of you I know are new to the area. You've moved into this space. A lot of you have recently moved because this tends to be also a time of year when people are shifting around and all that. Uh, Many of you have uh, kids who are starting a new school year, and if there's anything I've learned as a parent, this side of, you know, the school and academic uh, er, uh, uh, space is that now transitioning as a parent might be even harder, because, like, you got all the different different things happening that they're trying to transition through that you, in turn, are transitioning uh, with them in, emotionally, and all the rest of it. Uh, Even if it's not more cyclical of nature, maybe you're undergoing transitions like the loss of a loved one recently. Or maybe a new health condition, or maybe you're thinking about, or you just made a decision to transition into retirement. Uh, transitions are seemingly always upon us, and they can impact us deeply. We've talked about being in this post-pandemic world. I mean, I just think that term is pretty telling in its own right. We were living in a post-pandemic world. There was life before the pandemic, there was life during the pandemic, and then there's this fuzzy life of kind of we're out of the pandemic, that we're all in, that we're all trying to navigate all the transitions that are caught up in that. And it's our humble insight that we are all more deeply impacted by that alone in ways that we don't even recognize or anticipate. Of course, as a church, we've been mentioning this, we're getting ready to transition into a new space. How are we to navigate life's transition? And that's one of the things I love about the text in front of us today. It's Joshua, leader of God's people, facing some massive and heavy transitions. And it's in that space where God meets him and helps him through it. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at how he gives us 
wisdom, guidance, perspective for navigating transitions. So what we're going to do today is look at three questions I believe this text can help us ask when we're navigating transitions to help us do it well. We're just going to jump straight in here. Number one, we can ask, where's your gaze? Where's your gaze? In other words, what's got you preoccupied? What's got you anxious? Where's your gaze? Joshua and God's people were on the precipice of entering into the promised land. They were literally on the other side of the Jordan River heading into the promised land. It was just the next thing in front of them. They were getting ready to take the steps that would literally take them into that new season of their, of their lives. And Joshua was facing three in-over-his-head transitions. We're not talking small Each one of these, three completely in-over-his-head transitions. The first transition he was facing was filling Moses' shoes. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you must take on the mantle. I mean, Moses' name is even mentioned three times in this one sentence. Moses was kind of a big deal. He's an incredible leader, very skilled. And actually, on top of that, we're told in Numbers 12 that he was more humble than, quote, anyone else on the face of the earth. So he's super skilled as a leader. He's wise. He's faithful. He's, he, he's humble. It's the whole package. So could you imagine if you were Joshua being like, I got I to gotta fill his shoes? That was just one transition Joshua was navigating here. The second one we see here is he was getting ready to go to war. Verses 2 through 4 say, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Uh, Joshua and the people were not just getting ready to cross the Jordan River and have this land. They were getting ready to go to war. And for what it's worth, they're going to war with some very wicked people groups. I mean, so, so much so that God at different places in the text said he was withholding his justice for the right time. Because these guys are so wicked. I mean, we're talking just knee deep in occultic practices, child sacrifices. We tend to forget that the ancient peoples were just like constantly at war. Meaning this wasn't just a move, you know. History, have, you, have you gone through moving across town? I feel like moving across town is sometimes harder than moving across state or whatever it might be. It's like you go, just moving in general. So these guys are just moving a whole people group, the Israelites. They were moving and they had to first go to battle. So we're talking life and death, pick up the sword type, heavy of a transition. And then perhaps the most challenging transition of all, Joshua had to lead this people. This people. This is the same people that gave Moses, this great leader, a hard time. They, they had a track record of essentially trying to chew up and spit out their leaders. Now, granted, this is the younger generation, but still, it's like, I could just imagine Joshua in this case where God comes up to him and says, all right, here, here's, here's what's going to happen. And Joshua's like, I got to fill Moses' shoes? I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'll, we'll, we'll work it out. Okay. I got to go to war? I don't know how we're going to do it. Okay, we'll make it happen. Okay, you're, you're asking me to leave these people? I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, that's, no. These are the, tra- Moses, uh, excuse me, Joshua's just completely in over his head with these three massive transitions that were incidentally happening all at once for him. I mean, I don't know about you, but no, it's no wonder that the Lord came to Joshua and, and said repeatedly in verses 6, 7, and 9, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong 
and courageous. My level of respect for Joshua has just gone way up when you start to consider the context, let it sink in a little bit. Because I'm weak sauce when it comes to far lesser transitions. And maybe just one. But it's as if with all these places where Joshua could have fixed his gaze, all the fears and anxieties that were just, he could have easily been overcome by. It's, it's as if Joshua could have easily, just with any one of these transitions, let's just, let alone three, just kind of like been overcome by, just kind of gone off into, you know, stare mode over here. And God's coming to him and saying, Joshua, Joshua, look at me. Look to me. Fix your gaze on me. The battle through transitions starts with where we set our gaze. Because there are any number of ways, a number of things that we can become anxious about, to become preoccupied to the degree it, ta- it takes us out. I wonder, do you ever lay awake at night, unable to sleep, because you're worried about how things will turn out? Okay, some of you are like, that's every night. Have you ever experienced how emotionally and mentally debilitating these anxieties and fears can be for us? Okay, we, we get the idea. And again, it doesn't take but little transition for us. The last few weeks have been a transition for us with our kids going back to school. And again, it's been one of those things where, man, there's, there's all sorts of micro-challenges at the beginning of a school year for kids. You've got new teachers, new teaching dynamics, new workload, new like classroom relationships. Do they have their friends? And what can easily become like them sharing their concerns about how they're transitioning at all can become... Oh, no, these are stressors for us. Are we transitioning well? Are, we, are they going to be able to go to college? Are we, you know, you just go the whole, and I say that really like laughingly, but that's kind of how, you know what I mean? It's just what can be a little transition actually feels like a very big one. And where, is it little? Is it big? It, to us, it's big. And God specifically addresses each of these tr- three transitions. I think, and I think this is worth noting. With, when it came to filling Moses' leadership shoes, God said in verse 5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. When it came to going to war, God said also in verse 5, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And then when it came to leading what could have easily been an obstinate people, he he did perhaps the greatest miracle of all. We didn't read this earlier, but you can look down in your Bible if you have it, or the words actually be on your screen. Verses 16 and 18 have the people of God coming to Joshua and saying, You know what? We're in. We're supportive of you. And then they say, only be strong and courageous. They actually reiterate what God had been saying directly to Joshua. And I just think that's the greatest miracle of all. God knew Joshua could have easily become overwhelmed with these transitions upon him. And so he started with saying, hey, fix your gaze upon me. Uh, There's a really wonderful story, one of my favorites in the gospel accounts of Jesus and his disciples. At one point, he told his disciples, many of whom were fishermen, to go across the sea by boat ahead of him that he would catch up. He's going to go up first to the mountainside to pray. And so they figured out, okay, I guess he's going to have a long walk or something. So they, so they set out. Well, as they're out on the lake, the waves pick up, the winds pick up, and there's just this, starts to become a little scary. Well, the famous account happens to be the time when Jesus walked on the water. So Jesus was walking on this like scary you know, waters and, and, and wind and waves. And so the disciples were scared about that. The disciples were then scared of like what they thought might be a ghost and all that sort of stuff. But then when he got closer, Peter very famously said, Jesus, if that's you, call out to me because I want to I come over. And Jesus very delightedly said, come on over. And so Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus. And things are going fine. 
But then we're told this. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. I mean, that's a very telling verse here. When, when Peter saw the wind, in other words, when Peter took his eyes, his gaze off Jesus and focused on the wind, the, the waves, the, what was scary, what, what, what could easily have brought fear, that's when he began to sink. The author of Hebrews, writing to the early church that was transitioning into a time in church history where they would be imprisoned for their faith, killed for their faith, said this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. Make sure we fix our eyes on the Lord. We've got to fix our gaze on him. That's what God was telling Joshua. So he's telling us today that when you're facing a hard transition, you're going to be tempted to become overwhelmed by your fears, your anxieties, your insecurities, your frustrations. And he says, first and foremost, fix your gaze on me. Look to me. First question, where's your gaze? Second question, where's your aim? Okay. In other words, what's your target? What's your goal? What's your aim? Because if your aim, if your goal is just to get through the transition, you're selling yourself short. Notice with each of these transitions Joshua is facing, God did not come to him and say, hey, Joshua, I realize this is a big transition of you filling Moses' shoes. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sign up for a leadership conference. I see that you've got these, you know, these, this war in front of you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go write up some good battle plans. I'll check them over for you. Nor does he come and say, hey, I see that you're getting ready to lead, you know, what's been an obstinate people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get yourself in good counseling. <laughs> in other words, God was essentially saying, you've got these big transitions to navigate, but here's what I want you to do. Don't double down on your own efforts. Double down on following me. Double down on making me and my ways your main aim, and it'll work well for you. He says, be strong and very courageous. This is the main thing he says. Be careful to obey my law. I'm not talking battle plans. I'm not talking leadership conference. Be careful to obey my law, the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Don't double down on your own efforts. Double down on me. It's interesting. It reminds me of uh, one of the most famous teachings Jesus ever gave on the Sermon on the Mount, when incidentally he was teaching, do not worry. Tomorrow has enough trouble. You know, today has enough trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to uh, drink, what you're going to wear. But then he says this, he concludes, he says, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, quick pastoral sidebar. I want to take a moment to address this, because what can happen, and has happened and does happen, is we read a text like God's promise to Joshua that, hey, if you follow my law, you don't turn from the right or left, it'll go well for you. You'll, you'll be prosperous and successful. We can easily read that as, oh, okay, that means if I just follow God, then I will be worldly successful. I'll be healthy. And, you know, that, that's what's known as the prosperity gospel, actually. That if you follow God well, you'll have wealth, health, and worldly success. But that's not the promise, okay? That was a description of what God was saying to Joshua. But Jesus gives us a clear prescription of what it actually means to follow God in this way. It's better than worldly success and prosperity. 
Jesus says, if you seek God's kingdom first, all these things will be added unto you, meaning everything that you truly need, really need, will be given to you. And by the way, that will extend all the greater into the next life, where there will be heavenly rewards. But coming back to our question, uh, where's your aim? Jesus' clarity on what the principle behind what God is saying to Joshua is really helpful because it takes the pressure off. Like in the middle of the night, when you are worried about this, this, or that, and, and your mind quickly goes, as mine does, to all the anxieties and all the things that, oh, I need to fix, or the different approach I need to go, or the different solutions I can, I can choose to pursue. What question we can ask and must ask ourselves is, what does God want in the midst of all of this? What might he be saying? What might his word say into this? Because if we can get to clarity on that, the promise is if we follow that, things will He'll take care of what we need to have taken care of. But we spin our wheels so often focusing so much on these other things instead of asking the real question we need to be asking, what does God have to say in all this? I was reminded of a buddy uh, who lost his job quite suddenly at Google. And it was really sad. It really took him for, for a spin uh, to the point where he was questioning if he was in the right field if he had wasted his education pursuing this, that career, if he had wasted like, you know, the precious early years of his work life kind of going in that direction. But then he said he, said he had all these anxieties it was, it was leading him to depression. But then he said, but I realize now it's, it's all for the good. And I'm like, tell me more about that. Like, what, do you, what do you mean? What's the change? And he said, you know, I, I, real, I came to realize that God's got me. I'm not looking forward to applying to new jobs, doing all the new interviews. I'm not... Don't misunderstand me here, but I realize God's got me. He's, he's got me, and, he's, and I know he's going to provide, and that's given me a greater peace that if I could just ask, Lord, what are you calling me to do, and try to seek that, he's going to take care of everything else. And he said it to the degree of, he realized now that whatever next job he enters, he's going to be the better for it. Like there had been a gift given to him, these are his words, that because he went through this hard transition, he will now be able to take the rest of his life, a sense of peace, of understanding Hey, at the end of the day, I can just trust that God's going to have me if I just follow him, put his ways first. Now, let me ask uh, two questions here, just for the sake of reflection. Is there anything in your life right now that you know the Lord wants you to do or turn away from? And where I get that from is that little verse we read, be careful to obey all the law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Is there anything in your life right now that maybe you're going through a hard transition that you know that God wants you to do or not do? Because if, if you have that, maybe... Uh, Start there. Because here's what can happen when we're going through transitions. We can create all this noise in our minds. We can create all these other focuses. But we are drowning out what perhaps is quite obviously and straightforward what God wants us to do or turn from. Things that the Hebrews writer described are uh, hindering, entangling. We need to obey God's word. James, the writer to the early church in the New Testament, said we must not just be hearers of the word but, but doers. And the second question, are you regularly looking to God's word for direction? Uh, this is where it says, God said to Joshua, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Imagine, uh, if you've been here for a while, you, you might know this. The word meditate is actually the word, the literal word to murmur. It means just to kind of constantly have like on your lips or just ready to, to come out. It means just to be so saturated by it, you just... Or whatever you're facing, you have God's word to kind of rest on. You have it kind of there. It, it so fills you. You can kind of turn to it, even in the midst of transitions. Because here's the thing about navigating transitions. Transitions in our life shape us all the more. 
right? It seems to me that transitions are a bit of inflection points for us. They're going to impact us. So therefore, as Christ's followers, may they impact us increasingly into his likeness. Let those transitions, if they're starting to make us get overcome by anxiety, fears, and insecurities, let them help us fix our gaze and help us help them fix our aim on him. It doesn't come naturally to us, but to the degree that we do that is the degree we can trust him, follow him the way that he calls us to, and things will work out well. Where's your gaze? Where's your aim? And then last question from this text, where's your confidence? In other words, where's your hope? Where's your confidence? Because look at all the times God makes it exceedingly clear that making through these transitions, yes, Joshua has his part to play, but really it's going to come down to God carrying him through. Uh, Verse 3, God said, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you are. I will, I will, I will, the Lord will. And he ends that with saying, only be strong and courageous. I am so thankful that navigating transitions ultimately comes down to the Lord. (laughs) To him carrying it out and, and not we in our own strength. I'm so thankful for that. That's the story of current through and through. I was reminded this week of a good buddy, a neighbor of mine, early on when we first started a, started this church. We were meeting as a team. It's just like, you know, in the living room stage and all that sort of stuff. He came up to me and I, in hindsight, I realized it was kind of an intervention. He came up to like have a talk. He was like, he came up, I was working in the, in the garage and he said, he said, David, I think what you guys are doing is stupid. Like, tell me what you really think, man. And we had a good relationship, so, but, I mean, he was basically saying foolish. He's like, you guys, you guys are trying to start a church in the Silicon Valley. You guys are spending all this time, like, this is an area, it's, first of all, not easy to, like, tell people about Jesus or that you are followers of Jesus. Like, he just was going on, I was like, how, where are you going to meet? Like, he's just going through all these things. From his perspective, it's not, not being a Christian, he's just like, I don't, and I, I remember, I, w- I wish I'd said it with a lot more conviction than I felt. I was just like, we're just going to follow God and see him show. If he doesn't show up, you're right. This is stupid. This is foolish. But we believe he wants us to do this. And so we're hoping, we're praying that he's going to do it. And it's going to be cool. And so, he, you know, after this intervention, he, he's, he's a very thoughtful, pensive guy. And he just kind of was walking away. He said, you know what? I'm going to join you guys. I'm going I'm to come. I'm not, maybe not every week, but when you guys do these gatherings, let me know. Because I want to come and just, because I want to see how this plays out. Like I just, he's, he's like, <laughs> some of you guys remember him. He ended up putting his faith in Jesus. He came to the gatherings, heard about Jesus, and he's just like, I remember having coffee with him. He's just like, this is true. This is real. If That to me is a microcosm story of what God's been doing here at Current. As a church, we get to see him do all these different things, but also just seek ye first God's kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. He's going he's gonna to do his thing. Your part is just to move in his direction. To look, God, what are you saying? And, and following, I promise you'll be right for your life because it's not just about this life. It's about eternity. But to put it bluntly, and I put myself in this category, often we struggle through life's transitions because we aren't drawing our confidence from him. We might think that we do. We might say that we do. But functionally speaking, 
Not really. We have a hard time actually setting our gaze on him. We have a hard time actually setting our aim on him. We have a hard time actually placing our confidence in him. There's something really cool happening in this text underneath the surface, undercurrent, if you will. That I think it's really cool. It's not explicitly said, but it is most certainly there. Because here we are in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1, moving forward there. The name Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. In Greek, it's Iesus. In English, it's Jesus. What does Joshua, what does Jesus mean? It means the Lord saves. Often when we read texts like these, we read them, and rightfully so, from the perspective of the human people, right? Let's put ourselves in Joshua's shoes. Let's put ourselves in Israelite's shoes. And that's, that's good. We ought to do that. But consider for a moment God's perspective here, and I want to do that with all reverence. God is looking at this situation, these situations, all three of them, in over your head situations for Joshua, and knows it's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to be more than okay. It's going to be great. God's got Joshua. Done deal. That's not what's up in the air. What's up in the air is whether Joshua will decide to put his gaze, his aim, his confidence in the Lord. God would go on to save, deliver, provide for his people through Joshua. And perfect as Joshua would be. You can look at Joshua chapter 9 later and see an example of Joshua just not being a perfect leader by any stretch. But ultimately, God would save, deliver, and provide for his people not just then, but throughout all generations, in an infinitely greater way through Jesus. The Lord saves. Because Jesus would come into this world and keep the law perfectly, meditate on it day and night, even to the degree where when he was tempted in the wilderness, he'd be murmuring scripture, he'd be speaking scripture. When he was crucified on the cross, he'd be speaking scripture. Not only did he obey it perfectly, keep it perfectly on the cross, the good news is he died for us regularly not keeping it, for us regularly turning to the right, to the left from it. The gospel or good news is that you can receive forgiveness through Jesus, what he did on the cross by faith. And the promise is to all who receive him, to all who put their faith in him, he will give the right to become children of God. If you're here today, you can choose to put your faith in him, enter into a relationship with him today. And to those of you who are in a relationship with him, you and I know we can truly put our confidence in him because we have something far greater than Joshua had on that day when God was saying, be, be very strong and courageous in that we have Jesus. We have the one who came to give his life for us. And if there's reason and means to have our aim and gaze and confidence in him, it's, it's that because he was the one who went through infinitely scarier transitions than even Joshua, perfectly keeping his gaze, aim, and confidence in his heavenly Father, all for the sake of saving you and me. And if he did that, we too have this invitation that Joshua had with all the more force and power behind it. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, for many here today, this is not just an intellectual exercise. For many here today, uh, they're going through some transitions that are really hard, really heavy. And I want to pray especially for them that you would help them fix their eyes on you, their aim on eternity in you.
their confidence on the one who died for them. Would you be with them? Would you minister to them? Would you help us to come alongside and minister to them even as they minister to us? And then, Father, for those of us who are maybe going through lighter transitions or quote-unquote good times, would you equip us for when we go through transitions that are going to deeply impact us and those around us to find our gaze, to find our aim, to find our confidence in you. We love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us. We continue to ask that you would go before us, build your church, and lead us as your people to be the light of Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name.